Paratruth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Paratruth Radio right here on Blog Talk Radio. My name's Justin. And I'm Eric. And uh, we're broadcasting at you live at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And uh, we just have to shoot out there really fast. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, you can also find us on Tumblr if you are so inclined to do so. So hit that follow and like button. And uh, we encourage everybody who listens every week to tell your friends, tell your coworkers if you love the show as much as we do. We want the name out there. So get that word out there for us. Um, so how has the week been for you there, dude? Uh, very busy. Very, Same. very busy. <laughs> uh, I, I literally slept all day today. It's terrible. Yeah, I slept quite a bit yesterday. So. <laughs> uh, so, tonight uh, we have on Bill Hall. He's the author of The World's Most Haunted House. And uh, we'll get him queued in here. Bill, are you with us? Yes. Could you hear me? Uh, yep, we can hear you just fine, sir. How are you today? Awesome. Great. Thank you for having me. So uh, for all of our listeners who don't know you or anything about the book, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. Um, my name is Bill Hall. I'm a longtime skeptic and uh, magician. Um, I used to spend a lot of time debunking um, these kinds of things, uh, psychics and fortune tellers, people taking money from other people when they're when they're not real and so uh, Lindley Street was one of those stories I really uh, uh, I never quite looked into uh, okay. and bear in mind by saying a skeptic I, I've always been a healthy skeptic meaning I was not completely closed minded um, hmm. James Randi would be a good example of you know wonderful man but completely closed to everything yeah. whereas yeah. Houdini was uh, you know very intelligent uh, not going to be fooled, but kept an open mind and genuinely try, didn't want to set out to just debunk things, but wanted to really see if he could find, you know, these things. So, uh, so I right. tried to emulate that and be open-minded because there are some things that you know we can't explain. I always knew that, regardless of being you know a skeptic. So right. I came across Lindley Street, and um, uh, I was ten years old at the time, growing up in Bridgeport. And uh, didn't really think, I mean, I was, of course, enamored by it like everyone else Till my dad told me, oh, no, that's just a bunch of junk, you know, because <laughs> my, my dad never, of course, you know, watching from the outside, you know, who could blame right. anybody yeah. because, you know, newspapers just summarize everything. So without the details, how would you know? Uh, right. And Lindley Street, uh, you know, from the public point of view, to give you the, you know, the 10,000 feet before we get into it. Was a uh, poltergeist uh, occurrence where, uh, in November 1974, uh, there were um, 16 to 20 police officers, uh, about 14 firefighters, two priests, neighbors, reporters, onlookers. Uh, that onlookers alone totaled over 2,000 outside the house going up the street, and mm. so this story just really spread. You know, I. To sum it up, I say it's the Roswell of haunted houses. You know, it okay. literally went around the world, and then a few days later, boom, you know, 
it's a hoax. So it had that same kind of pattern. And this thing just, uh, the road closed, traffic was blocked off, and uh, and the story uh, rippled around the world, Australia, Japan, Israel. I mean, there was newspapers and reporters from all over that carried this story. Um, and uh, it got to be a real problem for the city, you know. <clears throat> Police had to stand guard uh, all day, dogs and paddy wagons and barricades. And, I mean, this thing was crazy, the type of thing that you never really, um, you don't see that much, uh, Mm. if ever, you know, to this degree, which uh, was one of the elements that I thought was so compelling about it in reading the newspaper articles. Um, So I felt I had to dig deeper, and I was uh, lucky enough to meet a wonderful gentleman uh, named Roy Spade, who uh, was the lead investigator on this, and he's still in the same town as he was. And um, he uh, opened his home to me and ended up giving me uh, all the tapes and all those interviews. And uh, that's where my journey started. So um, that's kind of a 10,000 foot view of it, but uh, uh, just to add to that, I mean, this took place in a very tiny home. Uh, three rooms ended up being four by knocking a closet down for the little girl. Uh, it <clears> was <throat> Jerry Gooden, Laura Gooden, and Marcia Gooden, uh, and um, a very tiny house, 738 square feet, little bungalow uh, down in downtown Bridgeport, Connecticut, uh, lower income neighborhood. <laughs> right a few blocks from the the hospital there and um it just was the type of house that you you wouldn't even think qualified to be a haunted house and that's the other thing that really uh you know the public uh, the the display to the masses of this thing was mm. uh, was really uh like i said a, a compelling part of it because uh, you know, we think of these houses as, you know, being in the backwoods. There's, you know, hardly any witnesses. You know, it's a farmhouse somewhere. And, you know, I'm not saying that some of these things aren't real that do take place like that. But really, mm-hmm. you get so many witnesses, and especially of the type, the type and number of credible witnesses, as in this case. And then, right. after it's a hoax... Uh, the police officers are forced to be interviewed at the at the police department in a conference room set up, and uh, and you have Boyce Beatty and his uh, crew uh, document the, this thing, and okay. uh, so you have this very rare level of uh, detailed documentation to go along with all the you know the the public witnesses. So, well, Eric and I had a investigation group when I still lived in Cleveland with him and um, he investigated a couple of really good uh, investigations for the, the Lindley house. Um, what started or how did the, the activity start um, in the the sixties or seventies? Yeah, it actually started with the adoption of Marcy. The Goodens had a, um, a small child, Jerry Jr., who had cerebral palsy, who couldn't walk or talk or do anything for himself. And he, he ended up dying uh, when he was six. And um, so later they adopted Marcy from Canada. She is a Native American girl, Five Nations Indian. 
and mm-hmm. uh, and so they adopted her. And shortly after that, things uh, started happening. She was very shy and withdrawn, <clears throat> and um, and she quickly became frustrated because uh, the parents were very uh, overbearing and overprotective, uh, which some of it was natural, of course, because of their prior child. But right. uh, obviously, it got uh, it got a lot for her to to put up with. I mean, they wouldn't let her go anywhere because, you know, she might be killed, couldn't cross the street, you know, so just very restrictive and protective of her that way. And then she was very shy and withdrawn. Um, maybe not even as a result of that. She she may have been even just herself. So anyhow, between all of that. And she ended up uh, getting uh, picked on quite a bit uh, at the public school there um, every day for about a year. And then she got beat up, and then she was out of school. And then you had the classic poltergeist situation of, you know, this girl stuck at home after being beat up uh, severely at school uh, because of the color of her skin. You know, they made fun of her because, you know, she had the olive skin, so she didn't fit in with, uh, you know, the the normal city there. And uh, so she was stuck at home with with the mother. Uh, So, and, you know, and... And uh, all of us that have wonderful mothers know that that could be <laughs> that could be a matter what six weeks home alone, you know. And uh, and so that's uh, after that it really broke out. The actual story uh, it, it started with the uh, the little things though, going back to like '68, you know, the door moving a little bit, chairs, keys out of place, things like that. And then in 71, there was these knocking sounds on the outside and inside of the of the walls. And um, the Goodens, you know, called the police and this town hall and everybody, you know, saying, hey, these guys have got to stop. And, you know, they thought it was the neighbors. They thought it was hospital additions, some construction on the highway. You know, they had all their theories and stuff, but uh, nobody, nobody can figure out what they were. And in 72, they made a recording of these uh, bangings with uh, their friend and uh, neighbor, uh, Bridgeport Police Officer uh, John Holsworth, who lived across the street. Uh, He suggested that they record the noises uh, so the town could figure out what was going on. So they did record them, and uh, it was no help. But actually, those recordings were part of the recordings given to me. So that was uh, pretty chilling to hear those sounds. And... uh, Actually, in the book, there's access to those sounds, so you can actually hear them. But because uh, that's the same tape from the the 70s that was given to Ed Warren, and then Ed gave it to Boyce Beatty, and Boyce Beatty gave it to me. So, um, you know, from Jerry, because Jerry, you know, Jerry passed it along. Uh, the mm-hmm. father who was in the house. So, and so they had these sounds uh, every November, and uh, you know, on and off. And uh, until uh, November 74, when um, that's when it really exploded, and that was after that period of time. I told you the six-week period of time. And uh, that <clears throat> that's when they came home from a trip from New York, and TV was down off the shelf in the, in the do- little daughter's room. She was 10. And uh, they, they didn't know what happened, put it back. It fell again, disconnected it, and then... Um, was bringing in groceries and the gross the table flipped with groceries all over. A TV comes down and the mother's uh, toe actually breaks a toe, 
uh, and knives and dishes are flying around, and that's when it just it was crazy. You know, they had these 1970 recliners, those really heavy ones, and they were opening and closing on their own. And uh, so they ran on the porch hysterical. They, you know, they had already put up with some phenomena the night before, and and now they were just. Uh, uh, they were done with it, you know, so they were on the porch. They called one of their friends and, mm-hmm. uh, and it was that guy, uh, it was a couple and, and the guy went down to the house and the wife called the police. So the, the Goodens actually never called the police. The wife called the police. What they did is they went on the porch, uh, after calling, uh, their good friends and they saw the daughter of, uh, of uh, Officer Holsworth, and she was walking the dog, and they said, "Go get your father." You know, we're in trouble here. And uh, he ran across the street to help them, and he saw all kinds of things happen while they were still on the porch. And in fact, I thought it'd be neat to play an interview with Officer John Holsworth that took place a little bit later in the day, um, where he explains uh, what he saw when he when he went over there. So. Um, if you uh, if that's ready for us, uh, you can yep. let play now. That'll be pretty neat. It's about uh, three and a half minutes tops. So yeah, I'll play it right now. All right. Nine seven five Luna Street. And you're with the Bridgeport Police Department. Yes, sir. Can you tell me? Uh, did you respond to the call? Yes, I did. My daughter was walking the dog, and she ran into the house. It said, Jerry and Laura, which we know them by, had an emergency when I come right over. I come over and found the two of them on the porch hysterical. And what did you find when you came into the house? I come in and I found everything arrayed. I mean, just disarrayed. The, the table's over, the chair's over, the icebox moved, the television moved, and I was the only one in the house, and they were still on the porch. Did you actually see anything move yourself? Yes, I did. I just told you. I saw the icebox move. I saw the television move. I straightened the television. It turned around. I saw the chairs open and close. Was there any other phenomenon that you observed? Nothing else other than selling the people down. I said, did you also uh, see the cat? No, the cat was not around. Okay. And uh, did you also witness the little girl in the chair that was uh, pushed back in the front room? Can you tell us about that? Yes, I did. I seen her fly back three or four times. This uh, later on in the afternoon, I left, I came back and saw this. And do you, um, did you test the chair to see whether it was uh, possible that, uh, that the girl could do it herself? No, there was no way. There was a priest here at the time when I returned across the street who tried himself as big as I am. I'm 6'2". Mm-hmm. I weigh 220 pounds. And he couldn't move it. And she just flew back like there was nothing. Have you ever been involved in any psychic phenomenon before in your years on the police force? 15 years, no. Nothing. What was your belief in, um, in, in, in hauntings and poltergeist activity before? You probably heard about it. What's your belief now? I thought it was a poltergeist right away when I thought about it. When I thought about it. And I believe in this, but I don't follow it. I see. Anything that happened. I see. So you were surprised. I mean, uh, you you came to this believing that it could happen. Oh, everything that happened.
anything happened. How was this reported in the police department? What kind of a report would be turned in? I don't know. I had to make a report myself. I was called by the Lieutenant Coco, the police department, who observed and controlled the scene here today. I see. Did he observe any phenomenon, you know? I don't know. I don't know. Officers at the scene, I have to make my report, like I say, and get names of the other officers who did observe. Were there many officers who observed? Uh, there was 10, 12. 10 or 12, and also I believe there were firemen also. Firemen also, right. Firemen were here, it was 10 firemen, uh, two chiefs. And they ob observed the phenomenon that uh, actually had seen things happen. I don't know what their activity was. I wasn't here. I was across the street watching my baby when the, the firemen arrived. But they walked out of here and they were afraid. I said, thank you very much, officer. Great. Wow, so that's yeah. it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, and having thirty hours of that stuff um, is uh, is something else. So um, I I really have to thank Boyce Beatty for uh, uh, preserving that, and uh, I'm honored to be able to uh, to tell the story. It's just uh, it, it's quite quite a story, mm -hmm. and, and just so much. What was really neat the way it was documented too is Boyce uh, would interview each person separately. So if you had eight people who saw a particular incident, uh, every single one of them would be interviewed separately to describe that very same incident. And so you can actually cross-reference all those uh, interviews. And so it was very rare to have that level of detail because of the sheer amount of people um, and and type of people. I mean, uh, um, one of the incidents with uh, Marcy in, in, in one of those chairs where it floated up and, and did a somersault in midair and threw her out of the chair. Um, I mean, three police officers, I mean, they were talking to her when it happened, and there were firemen there. I mean, it was just, it was crazy. So, Obviously, right. to say that she did it all is, is ridiculous, but, you know, the police had to get their, they had to get the city back. And it wasn't right. all. It was the top police. It wasn't all the police because right. a lot of those guys felt betrayed because uh, you know their names were in the paper, and then all of a sudden you say it's a hoax, and they look stupid, you know. Right. Yeah. Right. But um, and uh, I, I know Joe Tomic, who I've talked to numerous times. He was the first one of the first responding officers. Um, because what Holsworth did is after he saw that stuff, he didn't know what to do, so he called for backup and. Joe Tomic was one of the officers who arrived, and um, and Joe uh, uh, was very good. He he, um, he helped uh, edit the uh, chapter that uh, he was in to make sure all the little details uh, were there. And uh, I remember asking him, "How do you how do you remember this?" I said, "I have trouble remembering things myself, and I'm much younger." <laughs> And he said, well, he says, you remember, you know, when you're a police officer and you walk in a house and there's a suicide, he says, you remember that. You really remember that. You know, you don't forget it. Right. And he said, you also don't forget Lindley Street. And I thought that was a really cool way to put it. But, um, but I, you know, I, I can tell that he was um, a, a bit mad and disappointed that, uh, you know, seeing what the other people said and said, yeah, they weren't there, you know. Right, right. Uh, yeah, he would stress, you know, well, the, you know, the superintendent said that, yeah, he never went in the house, you know. 
and uh, and those guys weren't there when I was there. I can't say what happened when I wasn't there, but you know they weren't there when I was there. So, you know, but mm-hmm. but of course in the newspapers they made it like the police said, you know, like it's a collective unit. But no, there was quite a bit of police that did not say that. They said exactly the opposite, and they put it in writing in police reports. Um, and Joe, uh, is a funny story. Uh, when I first started talking to Joe, being that you could tell he was a great officer because he, 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 you know, who are you? And, you know, he had the course to cross-examine me a thousand times and, you know, and then got to know me and what I was doing and a few phone calls. He said, maybe I'll send you the police report. I said, you, you, you have it? He says, yeah, I got the original. And, um, and so, you know, weeks go by. So I'm like, oh, he's not sending this thing to me. And then one day I go to the mail and I just see Jay Tomek, you know, on the return address. And I was like a little kid getting a package in the mail. I'm like, he sent it, he sent it, you know. So I was yeah. able to put that in the book. I had the actual content of the police report, but I didn't have the actual, uh, you know, part in the appendix. I have the police reports, but right. I, I didn't have the actual. And that was just quite cool uh, to have uh, – you know, the actual on the stationery and stuff, the way it was originally uh, submitted. So, mm-hmm. uh, but that was funny. I, I was, it was weeks before I got it. So I thought maybe he decided not to send it to me. You know. <laughs> um, now, one of the interesting things I heard during that interview was a question directed toward the officer, which was, did you see their cat? Yeah. Now, there was an article posted by John Zappas, who Justin and I, uh, are acquainted with in the past. Uh, he's a demonologist within the paranormal community. Yep. And he did state that this cat was a big part of the fall, of fall 1974 incidents and that this cat would actually be able to speak and would often kick the, ba- the basement door yelling, let me out, amongst a number of other profanities that apparently you would say. Um, within your investigation, did you come across this and is there any evidence to support these claims? Yes. Um, yes to both, but not, not that it was the cat itself. So, okay. so the, uh, there was audio phenomena. There was footsteps. There was door knocks. There was the banging on the walls. Uh, there was a guttural voice uh, outside that the police complained about when they were doing crowd control. Mm-hmm. And uh, when the police complained outside when they're doing crowd control, uh, uh, both some of the people in the crowd and the police would attribute those sounds to the swans because the swan, they had these two cement planter uh, swans out there and um, and they moved by themselves. And so the. So almost like, you know, in audio, you have the proximity effect or ventriloquism, you know, it's whatever. Right. Yeah, whatever it's near or whatever got blamed. Now, when Jerry said that, you know, the cat was pounding on the door, he never saw the cat pound on the door. Mm-hmm. He just knew the only thing in the basement was the cat. Okay. So, you know what I mean? Now, Father Charbonneau, who was uh, one of the priests that was the Warrens had called because they worked with him uh, numerous times, he was in the basement and, and saw the cat having this uh, weird behavior and making strange sounds, and uh, and and he thought the you know the cat said jingle bells. Okay. Uh, and again, I attribute that to you know the there's a, a few places uh, where the animals made sounds and and uh, you know as they will you know 
get right. a, you know see things we don't kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So I think it was a combination of that plus the regular audio phenomena that uh, was taking place at various times throughout the house. You know, I think <laughs> I'm not saying a cat banged on the door. I think that's you know right. You know, and then to top it off. Marcy uh, called the cat Sam her only friend, mm-hmm. and she used to carry the cat around, you know, pretending to make it talk, uh, which, which which I was told by witnesses she wasn't very good at it, you know. Uh, <laughs> it was pretty obvious, you know. Right, uh, right. And, yeah. uh, so that got mixed into it, and then later on when they announced it's a hoax, they said, oh, well, Marcy made the, the cat talk, which, yeah, she did, but, you know, nobody really, you know, just like, oh, well, Marcy said she went backwards in the chair once. Well, yeah, she did, but that's when her mother would yell at her and say, stop messing around, get out of the chair. You know, nobody was fooled by those incidents, you know. Right. Um, so, <clears throat> so yeah, that's the thing about the cat. There's one other thing about the cat that was a major uh, rumor that has survived for 40 years, and there was a uh, the police officers went to Marcy and said, when that guy comes over here, go over to him and tell him, you know, pretend your cat tells you that his brother's name's Frank. So uh, the officer comes over and covers his badge and says, do you know my name? And Marcy goes, well, I don't know your na- name, but Sam might be able to tell your brother's name and pretends cat's talking to her and says, your brother's name Frank. And, you know, he gets a little... Uh, he's a little startled by this, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I remember Boyce Beatty was interviewing um, the police officers, and a police officer told that story. There actually was two or three witnesses that told the story, but th- this police officer told the story, and Boyce said, "Well, what did what did he say when you told him that you were playing a joke on him?" And then there's silence in the interview, and he goes, "We never told him." <laughs> <laughs> So that rumor spread and was a big, you know, people would talk about, say, oh, you know, Marcy's psychic and the cat knew the brother's name and, you know. (laughs) And so, you know, you've got this human stuff going on that, uh, you know, it's funny because that's the kind of thing that we don't expect to see in a horror movie, you know. But in real life, the guys are standing around getting bored, you know. (laughs) They're going to play some uh, jokes, too, so... uh, (laughs) But yeah, that's that's the thing about the cat. So did the cat talk? I would say not not directly. Um, uh, and actually, Ed Warren had commented that he wished he uh, he had run out of tape. He had wished that he was able to record uh, the sounds so that he could see whether uh, they come out on tape or not. You know, right. the, the banging uses a physical object, so he he was explaining, well, that'll come out on tape because it's it's using a regular object, whatever it right. is. Mm-hmm. Where, yeah. where the audio phenomena, he was interested to see whether that came out or not. Um, sometimes there was nothing there, and then he would get audio phenomena when he played stuff back, and other times uh, there was noise and, and the opposite would happen. But uh, <clears throat> So it was, uh, yeah, it had all of those uh, elements, and the talking cat, of course, was a uh, was a real neat element, but, uh, and, and, very interesting that it sometimes related to what was going on. Like Marcy got picked up by one of the entities and thrown against the wall, and uh, a police officer and a reporter swore the cat said help. <laughs> and you know, so it was kind of a weird, you know, some things like right. that happen where the audio phenomena it seemed like it kind of 
uh, you know, fell into play with what was going on. But uh, right. But yeah. plenty of this audio phenomena happened when, you know, Marcy wasn't around and, you know, plenty of this stuff itself happened when she wasn't even in the house. So, um, but, you know, we, we know that. And of course that doesn't matter when you're trying to proclaim it. You know, once they call it a hoax, everybody went home. It was right. Yeah. It's all done. <laughs> stuff with. Yeah. It's, yeah. You don't have to prove it's a hoax. You know how that goes. So. Right. Yeah. All right. Um, I think we're going to take our, person only break because we're having a really good show here so it's really interesting i don't want to cut it anytime a little bit short um so folks you're listening to paratruth radio right here on blog talk radio uh bill has offered to give away a autographed signed copy of his book um the world's most haunted house uh we're gonna give that away right now eric what color do you want color Color. I thought you said color. Like, what do you, what do you mean color? <laughs> uh, I, I need to get new headphones so I can hear things a little better. Um, <laughs> uh, let's go with the caller number four today. All right. Caller number four, call 914-205-5558, and you will win an autographed copy of The World's Most Haunted House. We'll be back in just a few minutes, and uh, we also have Eric's Random Fact of the Day. Yeah. <laughs> Now, Eric's random fact of the day. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and all that is in them. This includes the angels. Now, angels have become the center of conversation among many theologians. And over time, people have named a number of these angelic hosts. However, did you know that even though the Lord created thousands, if not millions of angels, he only mentions three of them by name? In his word, the Holy Bible, the names of these angels are Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. Names such as Raphael or Metatron are not biblically found, and therefore may be nothing more than human imagination.
Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Are you ready? Are you prepared? What if some cataclysmic event shook your every foundation? Would you and your family know what to do? My name is Jacqueline Druga, host of the Apocalypse Dennis Show. Join me every Thursday evening, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Prepper Broadcasting Network. Prepperbroadcasting.com, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. We're there for your survival needs. Gentlemen, sublimely elegant here as always, and you are listening to Parrot Truth Radio. that game over sound means that we did not have a winner for the autographed copy of the world's most haunted house. Uh, so I think what we'll do is we will give away that copy on our Facebook or Twitter page, or we'll put it out there for both. So that way we can give that away for bill. Um, and, uh, we will go from there. Um, so whoever is listening right now, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. And uh, you can also email us at parasiteradio at gmail.com. You can hop into our chat room if you have any questions for us or our guest. Uh, you can also call our call-in number, 914-205-5558. 
And uh, Bill, are you still with us? Yes, I am. All right, uh, Eric, you had another question for him. I do. Now, Bill, I come from a Christian background, and amongst, well, first and foremost, when it comes to the paranormal and me being into the radio, uh, paranormal radio, and doing the investigations that I do, it tends to be somewhat uh, uh, controversial among some of my friends and peers. Um, However, among all of my research uh, and investigations, I I personally believe that any and all hauntings ever recorded are demonic in nature. And there's a number of things that go into that, and if I had more time, I'd explain it, and perhaps we could talk about it some other time. But when it comes to uh, poltergeists, many believe that all poltergeists are demonic in nature based on everything kind of moving and uh, the, the danger involved in it of people getting hurt and et cetera, et cetera. So with, through your research, do you, have you come to the conclusion that this was indeed a demonic type haunting or do you believe it's something else? Um, I would hedge towards believing it was something else. Um, okay. I am, uh, I am definitely open and the reason I say that is because I really think the fact that we're asking the questions or doing the investigations is really what's important. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I wouldn't argue in, with you and say I'm absolutely right because that would be ridiculous. <laughs> you know, first of all, you have more experience than, than I do. But the other thing is, how do you ever really confirm these things as, as to what they are? Um, I think you can form some good theories. Mm-hmm. and I. And, you know, one day we probably will know. We just don't know what day that'll be. But uh, but the reason I would say, um, you know, my thinking as, as a magician, and, and this has nothing to do with frauds or anything, but, mm-hmm. but, but I tend to, not because I'm smart or anything, but I, because of the way <laughs> I was trained, I tend to think um, of more possibilities. I'll give you an example. Um, you know, in... When we say, okay, re- things fell off the wall and things like that, and we say, well, was that an evil spirit? Mm-hmm. Um, or was that a spirit at all? We, we can say, uh, my answer would be maybe. That may right. or may not may not have been mm-hmm. the, the entities doing that. That could be just that interference from the colliding of two worlds, for lack of better you know, lack of better terms. Okay. Um, another thing in Lindley Street case, uh, everyone was saying how, you know, this thing was going after religious objects. But if you looked at the, which Boyce did, God love him, if you look, <laughs> if you look at the incidents and catalog them, uh, Boyce concluded that only 10% of the items affected were religious in nature. So, just anecdotally, the way people viewed Lindley Street, and it's only and it's only natural because, you know, and, and I find this myself just in non-paranormal stuff, just in daily life. Mm-hmm. If, you ask, if you ask me what I think, even if I work with something every day, my answer could be wrong when I actually go to look at the numbers, you know, okay. or the facts themselves, you know what I mean? But um, I always thought of it this way, and I know you disagree with me on this, and that's fine, but it's just the way I think that I, I'm open to more possibilities. You know, when somebody is possessed, we usually come to the conclusion that, uh, you know, an evil spirit has taken over the person. I mean, if they truly are possessed, not mm-hmm. this. Right, way. no, right, right. 
<laughs> right. So one of the other theories that I have, and I'm not saying I even believe this theory, but it's just the way my mind works, is what if this entity somehow finds itself in our world through whatever, that perfect storm of family trouble and, and you know, the, the negativity and high yeah. sandy soils, you know, all the theories, electromagnetic, finds itself in our world, ends up in a person and is trapped and trying to get out and feels that it is trapped. We think the person's possessed. The entity might say, what the heck am I doing in here? I want to get out. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just I I always think of those additional – when the refrigerator floated, as a magician, I thought of two things. You either need hydraulics or – and everybody said that. Oh, you'd need a forklift to lift that thing. But but the other thing that people would not have thought of could be a fake refrigerator. That would be the easier way, you know. Um, Now, it wasn't. But what I'm saying is I, I always try to think of those extra things, you know. So we do know that there were entities in this case, and I wouldn't say that they were, um, you know, happy-go-lucky. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know if I would say that they're evil. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Well, let me put it this way. I don't have enough proof to say that they're evil. Because, okay. yes, they picked up Marcy and threw her and stuff, but the crowd outside did far worse. I mean, the crowd, the crowd outside did absolutely horrifying things, things that made Jerry sick to his stomach at work, the ridicule he, he went through. We all, you know, And I hear this a lot through haunting survivors, if you will, when they say, uh, you know, um, humans are, are far worse than, than any of these. I mean, not that these things aren't bad and, and horrifying and, you know, life-changing, and I'm not trying to lessen that, but... Um, I don't think us humans are necessarily evil, but if you were looking from the outside, from an entity's point of view, you, you may certainly think that because of the same kinds of things. You know what I mean? I mean, there's there's a lot of serial killers who I would argue are not evil. They're actually their their brains are are messed up. Their their wiring is broken, mm-hmm. and and I believe for somebody to be evil, they have to have a base level of logical thought where they can choose evil. If you can't choose evil because your wiring is messed up, to me that's mentally ill. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying, you know, let them go on the streets. I'm not saying any of that. But what I am saying is I think it's different. So do I think they were evil? I would say it's inconclusive. They very well could be evil, these entities. (laughs) Or they could be neutral. And, you know, because as as it's not my theory, but as a lot of people have said that the, uh, you know, the the little girl or boy or teenage girl or boy in a poltergeist case has like a negative relationship with the entity or entities or each get something out of it. Um, So, you know, was Marcy evil? No, I don't think so. You know, were the entities evil? I, I would say they could be. They could very well be. You know, were they demons? I mean, you know, who am I to say? I mean, I don't know what it, I don't know, I don't know what that means or what it looks like, you know. Um, You know, I would say they definitely could be evil or I think they could be neutral. Okay. You know, and, uh, and, and, uh, and that's the kind of thing that I think we, that we don't know. But that's my, I mean, which, uh, well, you said what your viewpoint were that they're, they're all, you know, uh, demons. And of course, that's, all of these things, I think, when it comes down to it, is is of course a matter of, uh, of faith. Um, 
you know, I think the multiverse theory has a lot of uh, merit to it, but, uh, you know, just as easily could not be that because, you know, we don't know what we don't know, you know. Um, uh, And we've always thought we were the center of the universe. I mean, we always thought that, you know, the earth is flat, you know, the sun revolves around us, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, animals don't go to heaven because they're not worth enough, you know. Um, so, I mean, we, we have this, uh, we have different belief systems that always put us at, at the center. And, you know, some you, you can argue, well, for good reason, because of, you know, what the Bible says, and, you know, but, but, uh, but I mean, we as people, I think we naturally think that way. So it's, uh, you know, when you get a possession circumstance or whatever, you naturally think something has invaded the person because we're concerned about us. We're not thinking. We're not thinking that something may be trapped and can't get out. And in fact, some researchers over many years are convinced that the longer a, pul- a poltergeist entity, what a demon, you know, whatever you call it, mm-hmm. is out and and away from their world or universe, whatever whatever you want to call it, dimension or you know whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, the almost more lost it becomes. You know, the one thing we do know is when peace is restored, and and whether that's through religion, whether that's through uh, jokes, whether that's through none of those and just the natural getting back to peace within the the family unit, uh, that the things tend to dissipate, uh, definitely tells us that it's feeding on, you know, negative energy, but it really doesn't tell us whether it's evil in itself. One reporter said to me... um, because there was a there was one of the things that happened was a, a boat moved like 14 inches. It was a model boat Marcy made, and it moved over a little. And uh-huh. his his comment was, "Well, if that's a demon, it it's just not very <laughs> doesn't have very much to offer <laughs> in ways of evil things, you know." Right. But uh, but you know, again, that's uh, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. But that was just a funny comment. So. Um, but, I mean, those are my thoughts. I kept comparing the inside of the house with the outside of the house. And at times, uh, you know, like the three guys, they tried to burn this house down. So mm-hmm. are they demons? I mean, that that's pretty bad. And that's actually worse than anything the entities did, really. Right. If you think about it, you know, I mean, it would have killed them. Um, so I, I would argue that they're not they're probably not evil people. They probably were scared. They might be very religious people even. Um, but evil, I don't use that term loosely because I, I maybe it's, I'm naive in thinking most people are good, but I, I tend to think a lot of the people that we call evil are actually mentally ill. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, you know, then of course there are the true, the true evil people who are very smart, know exactly what they're doing, don't have any diagnosis, you know, <laughs> and are yeah. just bad bad people and that to me would be true evil so that's kind of my long-winded answer to that but right <laughs> hopefully you agree right. with some of the things it doesn't matter about the ultimate because like i said i'm open to you know right uh, to the, and right. that's why i presented some different theories there because i really think that uh that they're all interesting you know and <laughs> uh, and at one time uh i was doubtful a real haunting even existed years ago so i mean you know why would i now limit myself and close my mind to uh you know to other theories you know right yeah 
All right, Bill. Well, we're getting close to the end, so I wanted to give you a chance to tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find your book, and uh, all that good stuff. Yes, uh, my book is available wherever great books and very bad books are sold. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I love that when they say wherever fine books are sold. I'm like, wait a minute. Wherever fine books are sold, there's always bad books. I mean, come on. I'm not going to lie to you, right? You know, I'm next to some bad books. I'm next to some books that I'm sure are better than mine. But (laughs) you can find me at uh, Barnes & Noble uh, online at uh, Amazon or Barnes and Noble or your independent bookseller online or in store. Uh, it is by New Page Books, so uh, it is in stores uh, also or online. Um, and uh, my website's worldsmosthauntedhouse.com. You can sign up for my newsletter, or there's links to places where the book's available. And uh, there's also some free stuff on there, so you can check it out on the, on the website and. Um, and uh, you can get a signed book plate that you can put inside your book if you want, no charge for that, and, you know, things like that. So uh, some fun things, I hope. So uh, check that out. All right. All right, Bill, thank you so much. I was going to say it also has a list of where I'm going to be, you know, events coming up. Oh, cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It was was mind-blowing for me because you're one of our best guests that we've had so far. So, um, really? I want to thank you. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I like you guys. <laughs> so uh, we uh, we appreciate you being on, and uh, hopefully we'll have you on again soon. Oh, it'd be awesome. All right. Thank you. Have a good night. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, folks. That was Bill Hall, author of The World's Most Haunted House, The True Story of the Bridgeport Poltergeist on Lindley Street. Um, I did send a link for you guys to his website uh, in our chat room. And um, now we have a little bit of a uh, review that Eric has about a movie he was um, able to preview. Yeah. Yeah. What's up, everybody? <laughs> <laughs> and that so, link is also in the uh, in the chat room as well if you guys want to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this past weekend, I had the opportunity to enjoy a film festival for free because I'm currently uh, studying cinematic arts at college. Uh, so I get all these kind of cool chances to do crazy cool stuff. Um, one of the interesting movies that I saw this past weekend, uh, this past Friday in particular, was a movie that it, it's – I'm trying to think of the best way to word this – uh, it's being pushed forward by Affirm Films. They're the ones who created it. And Affirm Films is actually a uh, a division of Sony Pictures. Uh, some of you wow. out there may have... What's that? I said, wow, that's actually a really good push for them, yeah. seeing as Sony's huge. Oh, yeah, Sony's huge. And they've been working with Affirm Films for quite a while now. Uh, some of the films that Affirm Films has actually released are films such as Fireproof, Courageous, Soul Surfer, which many, even if you've never seen it, you know what it is or you've heard about it. It was a huge movie a couple of years ago. Mm. Uh, Mom's Night Out, which came out this past spring, among a number of other uh, stories. This particular movie that I'm about to tell you about is a movie called The Remaining. The Remaining was written... Full length. And, well, it is full-length, full-length feature film, 
It okay. was written and directed by Casey Lascala. For those of you who know he, who he is, that's awesome. For those of you who don't, he has written or directed movies such as The Middyville, The Awakening, which is a documentary, if I'm not mistaken, as well as What a Girl Wants, A Walk to Remember, and, as you know, one of my favorite movies, Justin, Donnie Darko. Yeah. <laughs> which, uh, <laughs> for those of you out there who don't know, Donnie Darko is not one of my favorite movies. It's the music in there. I just makes me sad. Um, <laughs> well, the movie is rather dark. It, it's a dark movie. It's a very dark movie. Uh, now, this particular movie, the remaining amazing horror movie, what's very, very uh, special about this is you will find not one single swear word throughout the entire thing. There is very little gore, though there is a significant amount of gore. It's not like your typical slasher movie that you would see, such as uh, Texas Chainsaw or something like that. This is a story that's kind of a mix between, in regards to cinematography, it's a mix between, oh, I would say, Paranormal Activity, Cloverfield, and then pretty much your basic film that you would see on a normal day. Uh, so you have kind of like the first-person view as well as your third-person view and so on and so forth. Okay. This so is there story, like somebody filming for the first-person view? or Right. The, the first-person view is basically used as a hand, handheld uh, okay. camcorder. And then you have your typical films, which it may have been reds that they use, I don't remember, uh, that they use for other scenes okay. uh, throughout. Uh, so it's a nice mix. It's really good because... I got to listen to senior vice president of a firm films. His name is Rich Peluso. Uh, they thought about going with the Cloverfield thing where they only use the handheld camcorder the entire time. But then he thought to himself that that is uh, so 2009. Well, so, yeah, Blair Witch used that. Cloverfield used that. Exactly. There was a couple of them. That. Exactly. So they did come up with the idea to do both, to use both, and it worked out wonderfully for this film. Uh, now, you're probably wondering what this film is, uh, and I'm going to just give you a quick little summary, synopsis. more or less. Yes, a synopsis. It's, I'm not going to go into detail or anything like that. I'm just going to give you kind of the pitch here, uh, an elevator pitch, if you will. <laughs> it's, it's a story that follows five people who are enjoying a wedding when the apocalypse begins. Simple as that. Done. Uh, First, you you recognize the rapture, which in this particular story is just incredibly done. Uh, you know, in most uh, horror films, think, if you think of um, uh, da, 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 Cloverfield, for example, you have the party going on, and then all of a sudden you hear a loud noise, and then you see a giant fireball, and then you see right. the head of the Statue of Liberty come flying past the, the window. Yeah. So there's kind of a bit of a kind of a, I can't think of the word to use here, but it kind of sets itself up for something tragic that's about to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. This story in particular, the remaining, you don't even see it coming at all. It's just one moment everything's fine and dandy, the next moment everybody's on the floor dead, <laughs> you know? And that's the rapture. And it's a very interesting way that they did this. Uh, in, according to the Book of Revelation, which this story is based off the Book of Revelation, in particular chapters 8 and 9, If you want to go back and read chapters 8 and 9, any of you who are willing to open your Bible uh, or get a Bible and read one or check it out online, 
you'll have an idea of basically what's going to be going on in the background. Because the story isn't really about the apocalypse, but it's about the people who have to endure the apocalypse and why they have to endure it. So it's definitely interesting in regards to faith and belief and just as to why, or at least some reasons why, God allows certain people to stay here and raptures others up to him. Uh, and I could go way further in depth, but it's more important that you watch the film and check it out yourself. If you really want to see something interesting, something that has never really been done before, and you want to get scared, because I let me tell you now, it is a very frightening film. <laughs> I mean, I, I was watching around. I saw mothers with their children leaving the theater. They couldn't stay and watch it. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, there were all the people around me, girls and guys, jumping out of their seats and stuff like that. And I'm not going to lie, I jumped a couple times there too. But one of the things that happened that hasn't happened to me in a long time was that I literally sat there with a grin on my face for the entire hour and a half that this movie was playing. <laughs> literally. I was so just like, this is um, awesome. This is great. So, uh, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, the remaining... Uh, as Justin had said, he posted it in the chat, I believe he said, and you're also yep. going to be posting it on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, yep, I so go ahead and check out those links. If you don't have the links, just remember the name, The Remaining. Type that into Google, Yahoo, whatever you want, and that'll come up on your search engine. Uh, check it out. It comes to theaters. It's only going to 71 theaters right now worldwide. Uh, so they're hoping to see how it does and then maybe push it to a 1,000 theaters, uh, or an extra 1,000 theaters, I should say. Uh, so it's going to start off small, but it is going to be in main areas. You think in New York, California, your main cities it'll most likely be at. So check it out. comes out September uh, 5th. All right, so that's next week, folks. Next, uh, is it September 5th? Yeah, that would be yeah, Thursday because. Or yeah. Friday, uh, Friday, because Friday. we are on at September 7th. Okay, right. yeah, I was confused. I'm thinking September 9th, but no, yeah, September 5th <laughs> is when it premieres, so check it out. All right, folks, um, that is the end of our show. I just want to give you guys a heads up. Next week, we have Varla Ventura, author of Banshees, Werewolves, Vampires, and Other Creatures of the Night. She will also be giving away a autographed copy of her book, um, and uh, we will see you guys next week. Peace. Ever heard of Stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of Stoicism with a lowercase s, and not Stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference. 
All that is Stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it.